right, if you have your Bibles with you, please open up to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah and chapter 55. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screens. Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And listen and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall Live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, with the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for all the people. Surely you shall call a nation that you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you." Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteousness and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snows from heaven, and they do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may, be give, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. For you say, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all of the trees of the field, they shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isaiah chapter 55. Maybe you have heard this before. Such a beautiful, beautiful chapter. It's um, very poetic in nature. There's all types of things going on here. Um, it's very intriguing. It can be very kind of confusing. Um, what exactly is it going on? What exactly are, is the author telling us? I mean, there's talks of trees clapping their hands. Kind of, what, what is he saying? They're coming by this milk and honey w- without price and without, well, how is that possible? So there's all these different looks about water and rain and it coming down and all of these things. So it's very beautiful and poetic, but sometimes when we read a portion of scripture like this, the meaning of it can get lost. It can get lost in the beauty of it. For example, it's like, um, it's like that song that you hear on the radio, 
and it's just so catchy, and the tune's in your head, and it gets stuck there for the next week. And all you can do is sing the song, except for the lyrics make no sense at all. And you're just like, for some reason, I keep singing the song, but it's stuck there. And it just, sometimes we can begin to read the Bible, and it be, can kind of get stuck there, but we don't know the true meaning of what's happening in different portions of the Bible. Um, I've, I really found this true with the nature of kids' songs. You know, I'm a new dad, and so I'm doing all the things that new dads do. And, of course, you sing your children these songs. And um, the more I think about these songs, the more I realize these are, like, the worst songs in the world. I mean, um, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. He had a great fall, and no, nobody could help my man out, you know. Like, and then, like, all the king's horses, like, like, the horses were going to help Humpty Dumpty? Like, is there a doctor in the place? Get a horse, you know? It makes no sense. And then there's, like, the itsy-bitsy spider. He climbs up a water spout, and then it rains on him, and he gets washed down. It's like teaching our kids that, hey, life's going good, and it's going to rain on you, and be prepared to start all over. Things like that. Um, there was another few, uh, Rockabye Baby. Like, seriously? In the treetops? And then, like, when the bow breaks, so all of a sudden it turns from a cradle into like a ship of some sort, and it falls, and your baby just, hey, sorry. Now, the, another really, really bad one is um, the five little monkeys jumping on the bed, and then one falls off and bumps his head. Mama calls the doctor, and the doctor said, hey, only four more monkeys jumping on the bed. So, which if I was one of these other monkeys, I'm like, well, what happened to our brother? You know? <laughs> That's why kids are afraid of the doctor, because brothers and sisters don't come back. You bump your head, and they're just gone. Like, I don't get it. And so we sing these songs, and they're stuck, and there's so many. I'm like, every kid's song is just full of this, well, we sing this, and it's just. But sometimes the meaning can get lost in the beauty of it. And so Isaiah, sometimes we could read this portion of Scripture And this morning what I want to do is I want to look kind of beyond the poetic nature of it and kind of see what it is saying. So it starts off in verse 1, this ho, this listen, listen up. All of you people listen when everyone who is thirsty. And so there's this kind of invitation from the very beginning of the chapter that this is an invitation to anyone who is thirsty. But what kind of thirst? It goes on to talk about you can come and buy wine and milk. And so is it just kind of a literal thirst? Is, is it coming who is thirsty? And we're, we're not really sure. But then at the end of verse 2, it says this, And let your soul delight itself in abundance. And so it kind of reveals this thirst that it's talking about. So it's not just a, a literal thirst, but it's, Is your soul thirsty? Is anyone in here have a thirsty soul this morning? Does anyone know what it feels like to be thirsty? And so here at the very beginning of this is an invitation for those who are thirsty to come. And the word that gets me there too is everyone. Everyone who is thirsty. This goes beyond any type of boundaries that we may have. It doesn't matter if you're skinny or fat or black or white or this denomination or this nationality or whatever. It says, everyone, if you are thirsty, if you are experiencing a thirsty soul, come. Come to the waters. And then it goes on to say this in these questions. Why do we spend money on what is not bread 
and your wages on what does not satisfy. And so here comes this question from God to us where, hey, you're a thirsty soul, you're a thirsty individual, but yet you're caught up spending your time and your money on things that don't satisfy, but yet we do it time and time again. How often are those those things in life where we think, man, if I just had that, it would bring me happiness. If I just had this, it would satisfy. So we go and we go to work and we work extra hard to get these things that we want only to go out and to buy them and realize it's not that great and it doesn't satisfy. If it does, it's for a very short period and it's not long until our souls are thirsty again. Does anyone know what it's like to have a thirsty soul? And so we can look at this, and and we can even say God's asking this question back then, back in the days of Isaiah, and they were suffering with the same problems that we're suffering now. And and sometimes we begin to look at the Old Testament, and we can see things in there that it's hard for us to relate to. Like they would worship idols, and there was, you know, building golden calves, and so we're kind of, we don't understand that. We don't know what that looks like. But yet, here we find them repeating the same cycles, going back to idols time and time again after they've seen God move in mighty ways. I mean, he's parted seas. He sent down manna from heaven. He's done all of these wonderful, wonderful things, and yet they keep returning to idols. How often are we doing the same thing? We've seen God move, but yet we keep wanting to return to things that we believe will satisfy We think that if we could work a little bit harder and get that bigger house, get that newer car, get this or that, man, it's going to bring satisfy. And here God is simply asking us the question, well, why do you do that? Why? Why? You've seen it time and time. You know the pattern yourself. Why do you do that? All who are thirsty, come to these waters. You've tried to come to other waters, other ways of finding satisfaction. But here is a way, here is, here is something that's not going to leave you thirsty a few days later. And so the natural question arises, how? What is the solution to the thirsty soul? And God tells us right here, come to the waters. And so it's kind of natural that even when God begins to answer questions, it only leads to more questions. So how, do, how does my thirsty soul get quenched? And God says, well, come to the waters. And then which we reply, well, what does that mean? What does come to the waters look like? That my soul might delight in its abundance. What is this water that you speak of? And how do I come to it? So this morning, I want to answer that. And I want to take... A look at it, though, from three different perspectives, Uh, kind of like how we read the Gospels, where it's three different looks at the same story. So not that these are going to contradict each other, but you'll see at the end that they are going to complement each other. So three different perspectives on what it means to come to the water if you are a thirsty soul. So if you were there listening to this for the very first time in Isaiah's day, and he was there and he was speaking this to you, all different types of things would be going through your mind. And when you heard the word water, you would instantly associate that with life because you lived in a desert, and water meant life. We need water to sustain life. And if you were there and you were a teacher of 
the scriptures and if you had been studying the Torah and if you had known the law and everything that God was doing, you would know that this word water would be very much associated with the word of God. So anytime, if you were there and, and, and you know, you're, you're teaching, teaching the message of God to the people and you hear the word water, you're thinking the word of God because the word of God is like life in the desert. And so the words that God has spoken to us give us life. So this morning I want to read from the biggest book on the planet. Um, it's a book about ancient, um, kind of like commentary on what... Um, the Jewish people would look at when they would read this verse and, or hear this verse for the first time. And so if you were hearing this, they would associate uh, Isaiah 55 with the book of Exodus in chapter 15 and verse 22. And if you could put that on the screen, Exodus 15 and 22. And it says this. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And so they would look at that, and they would say this, for water, we have been taught that those who would expound the inner meaning of the scripture would say here, water can mean only Torah. It could mean only the word of God. Therefore, ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to these waters. And since the Israelites went three days without the word, they grew weary. So the prophets and the elders among them desired themselves and ordained this, that the Torah must be read on the Sabbath and not on Sunday, read on Monday and not read on Tuesday, and Wednesday, then read on Thursday and not read on Friday. Thus the Israelites would never go for three consecutive days without reading the Torah. In other words, this, they would take this scripture from Isaiah 55, pair it up with Exodus 22, and they would say, look, there's something about the word of God, there's something about life and water that is sustaining. And we saw back here in Exodus when the children were going across the wilderness that they went three days without water and it made them weary and they needed life. So this word water and this word life and this word has to be continually in us. So this law is passed that the word of God had to be read aloud in the assembly for no, at the mo- it can never be read where three consecutive days would go without it. In other words, you had to have the word of God inside of you. And to go three consecutive days without the reading of the scripture would be, wow, man, there's a reason weary. There is a reason why your soul is thirsty because you have gone without these waters. You have gone without the word of God in your life. And so there w- they would hear Isaiah 51 and they would bring about all of these thoughts. It would bring about all these desires to get more into the word of God. Now, there's another portion that I would read that's relating the waters to it. The words of Torah, the words of God, the words of this law are likened to waters. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to these waters. As waters reach from one end of the world to the other, so the Torah reaches from one end of the world to the other. As waters give life to the world, so the Torah gives life to the world. As waters are given without cost to the world, so the Torah is given without cost to the world. As waters are given from heaven, so Torah is given from heaven. 
as waters are given to the accompaniment of powerful thunderings, so the Torah is given to the accompaniment of powerful thunderings. As waters restore a man's spirit, so Torah restores a man's spirit. And so they would be sitting there, and they would be listening to Isaiah speak these words and hear these words, and there'd be this instant association of coming to these waters, coming to this life-giving word of God in the midst of being weak, in the midst of being weary, that they would come to the word of God. And it goes on to say this, and waters come down from the heavens in drops, and they become multitudes of brooks. So are the words of Scripture that they come down one at a time until that drop becomes a bubbling spring. So in other words, they would say that as we begin to learn the word of God, sometimes it comes just like a drip. And that drip becomes a cup. And then that cup becomes a gallon. And that gallon becomes a full-on flowing stream from with inside of you. The point is this, that there is life in the word of God. There is life in the word of God. And it may start like a drip, but it ends up like a spring. So there's this invitation to come. Come to the waters, O you thirsty soul. But here's the deal. We live now in a world that we want the spring without the drops. We, we want it just to kind of all happen at once. Like, we pray a prayer, and like, that's it. It's supposed to just happen. The, the church is doing a book study right now in this book called The Circle Maker. And in this book, it, it kind of talks about how with our prayer life, we have to learn to circle things, to keep, to keep after it, you know, to not just pray one prayer and then just let it go, but to continue in prayer with things. So, so it, from a drop, becomes even more and even more. So we endure this thing, and we keep at it instead of just letting it go. And see, we want the spring without the drops. It's the same way, you know, in life. With our business, we start a new business. And man, we want to open the doors and business is just going to rush in. And we're just going to make a million dollars in our first year. And then, no, sometimes it's like a drop. Or whatever it is in our lives that we're going after. Man, we we have all these dreams and aspirations of, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And sometimes God just gives us drops. But those drops become springs. Those springs give life. How often is it that our soul is thirsting because we've got caught up with the things of this world? We go way more than three days without spending time in the Word of God. And that Word is like a fountain, ready to give life to the dry, to the thirsty, to the weary. And so this invitation, come, come to the waters, come to the word of God. Now this word is not just water, but waters. It's plural, kind of like God. God is plural yet singular. He is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's completely different, yet completely the same. It's a mystery. And so he's saying, come to these waters. Now, if we would fast forward uh, in time, this portion of scripture, about maybe five or six hundred years or so, to uh, the time of Jesus and immediately right after Jesus. And we are in first century Jerusalem. And we're reading this portion of scripture. It's being maybe read aloud in the assembly. And we begin to hear this. What would we think about it? We would think this 
John chapter 7 and beginning in 37 and 38. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So you're there, and you're listening, and you're hearing Jesus talk about these waters. And these waters that Jesus is referring to is the Spirit of God that he is going to send that's going to come and now live inside of you. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit, this river of living water. So now there's this water that's in context of life. It's in context of the word of God, but now it's in the context of the spirit of God. So water in those days, when they would look at it, they would think it had become very common, but yet it was still very precious. It had, um, it was traditionally kept in what they would call earthen vessels, very cheap vessels is where you would store your water. And it was very common, yet very precious today, like the Word of God. It has become very common, yet it is still very precious. You could go and you could buy a Bible at Walmart. You could pick up one at the dollar store. You could go to any hotel room, and there is a Bible there in that drawer waiting for you. So it is common, but yet it is still precious. And in those days, water had taken on that same form. Well, water now, where it was once, where we were in the desert and it was dry and we were doing everything we can to stay by the water. We couldn't even go three days away from it because we would get just just hurting. Now it comes to a point where they've figured out systems to put, put water into the towns, drainage, all these other things. And so water was common, still precious, but yet common. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 and reminds of this, of this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the su- surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. What's he saying here? He's saying that there is this absolutely precious, beautiful thing, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living inside of us, this kind of Tupperware vessel, the most precious thing in this kind of common body. And he's reminding us that to stay humble. He's saying that this living water that we're looking for, that we're seeking for, is right here living inside of us. It's living inside of us. It's what is most precious, yet it is becoming kept in what is most ordinary. And so they would go on, and they would say this about water. As water leaves a high place and flows to a low place, so so the word of God leaves him whose opinion of himself is high and cleaves to him whose spirit is low. As water is not kept in vessels of silver and of gold, but into the cheapest of vessels, so Torah abides in him who regards himself lowly as an earthen vessel. And when thirsty, a grown man is not ashamed to say to a child, let me have a drink of water. So in studying the word of God, grown men should, be, should not be ashamed even to say to a child, teach me a chapter. 
teach me a verse. Even teach me a word. No, even better, teach me a single letter. He's saying this, that the, the Spirit of God, this word life inside of us, that it remains and it flows through the humble. So here we kind of have looked at two different time periods and looked at the first part of Isaiah 55 where one would come and they were the question was asked come to the waters come to those who are thirsty is there any thirsty souls and the answer in Isaiah's day was come to the word of God come to the word of God but the answer that Jesus gave was not only just coming to the word of God but coming and having the spirit of God living inside of you that the holy spirit would flow out of you rivers of living water. And so the first view was still the view in, in predominant Judaism today where there is um, a great knowledge and a great respect for the Word of God. They, they, they know it inside and out, they, the context, uh, the historical facts of it. They look at this portion of Scripture and the word waters instantly, they are drawn to the Bible, the Bible the, that we would call basically the Old Testament, and they would say, man, this is where we are finding life. This is where we are finding our waters. This is the source. Um, the problem is it becomes a list of do's and don'ts. It becomes their study is where they base how we become closer to God. Do's and don'ts. Don't do this. We have to study. We have to pray. We have to go through all the motions. But here in the end, we find that this person is still thirsty. This person has come to the waters. They heard inside and out. They know it backwards and forwards. They can take verses and quote them to you every, every which way possible. But yet, they are still thirsty. Then we could fast forward over here to American Christianity, and we can see kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where we have a great respect for the Spirit of God. We talk a lot about things like grace and mercy, and there's a kind of knowing inside of us that we can't and He can. But yet we attribute our spiritual life and our natural life as being two separate, completely different things. In other words, we say things like, well, God knows my heart. So I don't have to do this. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to know this. God kind of knows, and I just rely on the grace and the mercy of God. And we say these things not realizing that this is so outside of the context that there's no difference between your natural life and your spiritual life. If you were to say that to Jesus, he would say, what are you talking about? To, to be absent with the body is to be present with Are you dead? What are you talking about, spiritual life, natural life? Like, as, we, as if we could separate the two. They are one and the same. And so we've kind of developed a Christianity, a way of looking at things that says, I don't need to pray. I don't need to read the Bible. All I need to do is believe. And if I believe, and if I just have the Spirit of God, that's all I need. But yet, here is the outcome of that. We are still thirsty. We talk a lot about the Spirit of God. We talk about Him moving, and we do all these things, all in the name of Jesus. And yet, if we were really honest with ourselves, we've come to the waters, we've tried to drink, and we're still thirsty. Now, I know you can't say amen. I know you can't shake your head right now, but you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been in church for 30 years, and you're still thirsty. 
Or maybe you've just sunk into the Bible and you've tried to read it over and over again and yet you are still thirsty. And so what is he saying in this portion of Scripture? The outcome of these two different views, the, the American, the, Ju- the Judaism, the American Christianity, one has word and yet still no power. The other one has spirit and yet still no power. And the outcome is we suffer the same consequences with both approaches. We both still thirst. And so how do I come to the waters? It has to be more than simply just the word of God. It has to be simply more than just believing in God. And Jesus gives us the answer in John chapter 4 and makes it all clear. It's made clear Not to the scholar. It's not made clear to the person of the day of high reputation, but it's made clear to a Samaritan woman. Where Jesus has come to a well, and he sat down, and this woman comes, and Jesus says, give me a drink. And to which she replies, what you are a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan. Don't you know that you don't do this? You Jews have your section and us uh, Samaritans have our sections and you do these, these things this way and we do things this way. And w- w- what's going on? And further on in the conversation, Jesus says this, if you would know the gift of God that is speaking to you right now, you would have said to him, Give me a drink of water, and I would have given you this water, this spring of life, that you would never thirst again. And so here we find Jesus as the center point of everything. He's taking two different worlds and combining them. He's saying that there is life in the word of God. There is this life, and there, there's this water, and there's life in the spirit of God, and they both come through me. You can't have one without the other. You can't fully engage in the Bible unless you do it through Jesus. You can't fully engage in the spirit and the power of God unless you do it through Jesus. He's bringing it all together. You want to know what this water is, this life that I'm talking about, this living water? It comes through me, and I give it to you. And he goes on, and he's talking to this woman, and he says, do you want this water? Because this water that I give, you can drink of it and thirst no more. And to which she replies, yes, I want it. And to which I think every one of us that is in this room this morning, if we know the pain and we know the dryness and the hurtness of having a thirsty soul, we know all of the motions of everything we're supposed to do. We do this, we do that, and yet we are still thirsting for more of God. We want to come to him and say, how can I do this and not be thirsty again? How can I come to this well over and over again and not have to do that anymore and god says you do it through me and you do it through my power and everything that i've supplied already for you that is the deal breaker that is the game changer that takes everything that we've tried to do on our own and puts it on jesus that he just think about that christ in you The God that speaks things into creation, who says words 
and it gives forth life. And it brings forth rivers and oceans and lands. And it breathes into the the mouth of man and lives inside us. The most precious thing lives in this earthen vessel. Gold in Tupperware. It's amazing to me. But how often do I kind of want to get caught up in other things? Man, just to taste and see that he is good. And come to these waters. Come all who are thirsty. Come and drink. Come and buy. Come and buy Come and buy this milk and this wine that's without price. And how do you buy something that's without price? Well, it's bought because he's already paid the price. So we just enter into what he's already done. And so whenever we read our Bibles, we read it not through the lens of I'm doing this to somehow justify myself or become more of this. But I'm reading it through the film and through the lens of what Jesus has already done. It's a game changer. It makes everything different. Come to these waters. Come to the word of God. Come in the spirit of God. We live in a world now where we have more opportunities than ever, more avenues than ever before in all of history to get and to understand the word of God. And yet we are still thirsty. You could get on the internet. You could find a Bible. You can do, I mean, there's commentary after commentary. There's books after there's stores dedicated, there's any type of Christian resource that you could think of, and yet we are still thirsty because we are trying to look for sources other than Jesus. See, we talk about it like it's about Jesus, but the reality is we're not looking to Jesus. The reality is often we're looking to maybe man. Maybe we're looking towards the pastor. Maybe we're looking towards our job. Maybe we're looking towards our work. And Jesus is saying, well, why do you do this? You know what's going to satisfy, and the only thing that's truly going to satisfy is me, but yet you think that you can find true happiness and true satisfaction in this avenue or this way. So why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep spending your labor? Why do you keep working for these things that ultimately you don't even want? I read this, uh, it was like a quote on a t-shirt or something one time. I can't remember where I saw it, but it said, uh, you know, we spend all of our... uh, Time making money only to grow old and spend all of our money to make time. <laughs> Do we not see the, like, how ridiculous? Like, it's so true, though. And yet, here's, like, the reality that some of us will leave here this morning and Monday morning we'll go right back into that same circle. We'll be tempted to say, you know what, well, time to get back into that same flow of things. Time to work really hard again so that way I could get that new whatever. Only to work really hard, get it, and find this thing isn't what I thought it would be. And then we'll find something else, and we'll do it all over again. And the whole time, Jesus is looking, and he's saying, Oh, listen, listen, guys. If you are thirsty, if your soul is thirsty, come. I'm going to ask the band to come back up a minute or now, uh, and play one last song here. Um, If you could all please stand with me. Is there anyone here that is experiencing a thirsty soul?
Let me encourage you, if you don't read your Bible, start. And if you do read your Bible, let me encourage you to start to put it into action. Start to forgive those people that have hurt you. Start to serve your neighbor. Start to pray for your family. Start to love your neighbor. This is not the product of any type of rules and regulations, but this is the product of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That there is a God that has resurrection power. That even when put on a cross and laid in a tomb and left for dead, rose. Let me assure you he is bigger than your problem. Let me assure you that one sip from him, even one drop from him will quench the thirstiest of souls. If you're tired of church, if you're tired of trying to be a good Christian, stop and just look to him because there is power in Jesus. And Jesus wants to live inside of you, that same resurrection power. If you would, please close your eyes for a moment. And just God, for those in here that are just so dry, for those that are so thirsty and worn out from a journey, I thank you that you are calling us this morning and you are saying, come, come all you who are thirsty. Come and drink of this water. You don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to be like that Samaritan woman returning to that well over and over again because, man, it just keeps getting thirsty. Everything I look for just keeps drying out. There's a river that God wants to put inside of you and it doesn't come from a church and it doesn't come from a pastor and it doesn't come from a good speaker and it doesn't come from a a really entertaining event but it comes from the spirit of God living inside of you and flowing and those drops fall down from heaven like the rains and the snow fall down to the earth and it does not return but it flows out of your spirit Lord, your word, may it be as water in this desert body. May it be as life for those of us that are longing to live more freely, more joyous, more in tune with your spirit. Come, Lord Jesus.